welcome. Um, my name is Simon Mannering. I'm the rector of All Saints. It's a wonderful and exciting privilege this evening for us to share this space together. Um, and not only just to share this space together in terms of this evening, and I'll say, of course, something about the two bishops who'll be, I'll be keeping them apart, I'll be in the middle between two bishops in the chairs here. But also in this space, in Midtown and in Atlanta, um, we can go up into our attic where we have our youth space and count the cranes. It's a sort of uh, Sunday evening activity. We're in the midst of an incredible renaissance here that has all sorts of sides to it. Uh, a massive influx of uh, young adults, um, incredible uh, innovation and new ways of uh, being in the workplace as well as in the city. And on the other side of that equation is a rapidly paced gentrification process. Um, people who uh, are on their way to beautiful uh, executive suites and walking past people who slept on the street last night. We're in the midst of all of that and the gift of this community, simply by our geography as well as our commitment, is that we've been in the midst of all of that for a good long time and have wanted to be a church that steps out into the city. And so the theme of our conversation this evening is a compassionate church for the city. And I've got four questions uh, for the bishops who I'll introduce just now. And after that, I do want to encourage you to ask questions of your own. And we'll aim to be, if, uh, if I see some of you sort of slumping and, and uh, <laughs> going to another place, then we will we'll bring it to an earlier close. But we intend to have about an hour together in conversation. Given that, there is iced tea, I think fully charged. So go and make your way to it. Do not feel at all bashful about that. Please do go back and uh, refill your plates. Make yourself at home here, because we're glad to welcome you to our home. As indeed we are uh, glad to, to welcome, but to, to give thanks for. It's not really a welcome to Bishop Wright as such, because he's at home, uh, but to say uh, welcome back in from the, the wilds of the Diocese of Atlanta. <laughs> um, Bishop Wright has been here in, at some wonderful pivotal moments in our life. Uh, he began with the Episcopal visitation uh, with a phrase that I'm still having to Google to understand, to hit the cover off the ball, that we might be a church that hits the cover off the ball. I've loved that phrase ever since. <laughs> and, uh, that's right, I even went to a Braves game to try and understand it, but that's right. Um, and that's the kind of leadership that we want in this parish and in this diocese, that we may be encouraged to dream bigger dreams, uh, to dream for the things of the kingdom of God. And so we give thanks for your leadership in this place and in all the places, uh, in this diocese and in the wider church. And Bishop Catherine, we have um, so enjoyed, as you may have heard if you were at the service, uh, we were up the hills, uh, up the hill in North Carolina, the Canuga. Uh, Bishop Catherine was with us for our, uh, our annual parish weekend. And some of you here, are, 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 you are not, this doesn't actually qualify you for later Sundays to miss, I just wanna say out loud, but you have been here throughout uh, from our time in Canuga and now here this evening. Uh, and it's been a, a wonderful thing to watch as the, the pastor of this community to see not only you teach, but to see you love a community that you're meeting for the first time with real graciousness and ease. And that kind of leadership certainly puts me at ease and I give thanks for that. And we continue to be enriched in this church, uh, national and international by your leadership um, so thank you for, for, for uh, giving your time to us this weekend. So I'm gonna, um, you're in the spotlight, I'm gonna invite you both to come over to these stools. There you go. And I will um, ask for you. Okay. For you, Catherine. Okay. I was just here. <laughs> you were just here. <laughs> that Groundhog Day experience. And we are glad for that. So I've got two questions about the church and two questions about the city. Um, first question is around our mission and our tradition. And it seems to me that our sense of mission and ministry in the city needs to be grounded somewhere. And so I wanted to begin with a question about this theme of compassion 
who had been sitting for this weekend up at Canuga and this evening at the service, what is it from our tradition, whether that's the biblical tradition, the tradition of the church's theology and history, that resonates most with you when you think about how the church might offer compassionate leadership in the city? <laughs> the church's job, like our individual, individual vocation, is to love God with all we are, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, it doesn't get any simpler than that. It's not easy, but it's pretty clear. Uh, the, the church brings a community of um, listeners to hear the stories of suffering in the city. Uh, a community this size in this room goes all over this city through a week. And where are you hearing the pain? Are you willing to give voice to that pain? Are you willing to hold up a, a dream that God has of what the world might look like? And are you willing to move? Um, compassion isn't just listening and feeling with, it's acting to relieve the suffering. And for most of that, it takes doing something structural, changing the systems of injustice. So I think that's where the rubber hits the road. Mm. Thank you. Uh, I'll surprise all the clergy in the room and the seminarians by saying something liturgical. I want to talk in terms of <laughs> liturgy. <laughs> People are like, what? Is that right? Uh, um, I mean, uh, who we are is, is how we pray. It shapes that and it shapes how we go from where we are. And so the liturgy couldn't be more clear is, is that the climax is not with the eloquence of the preacher and we have many eloquent preachers. Uh, it is it is at that table uh, for nourishment, and it is being sent out. Um, and I, I think that we've just got to recapture that that fervor, that urgency. Um, my comments tonight are a little bit jaded because I've just left one of our Hispanic congregations today, and I, I was so struck um, uh, listening to one of our priests in the Diocese of Atlanta talk about the people that I was going to talk about. Uh, you know, with uh, the uh, the lectionary reading today from from Timothy, Second Timothy, where where I was saying that you know power, uh, we've not been given the spirit of, of fear, but of power, uh, and love, and of a sound mind. And I was going on about that, and then uh, got a chance to meet them afterwards. And there were people there with with bracelets on because of uh, immigration policies. They were they were families fractured in our midst. Our members of our church not some issue at distance or in an article in the New York Times, our members of our congregations, uh, families uh, broken apart, a couple of kids raising themselves because mom and dad were deported, et cetera. And, um, uh, and so when I think of, of, of how we might be, uh, how we might sort of leverage the compassion that you and I have because of the compassion aimed towards us in, in Jesus Christ, I think about going to where those ditches are. The Samaritan didn't walk past the ditch. The, the priest and Levite walked past the ditch. I think we have to go to ditches. And uh, I think that those are some ditches in our, in our midst. Uh, there are kids there who, uh, who need some hope and who need some encouragement. And I, and I think we can bear witness uh, in those communities. I think that the, the gospel is pretty clear that it's the indigent, the immigrant, uh, and the ignorant. That, that rise to the, to, the, to the top of the list. And I think that nobody can do everything. That is true. We, we have finite time and finite resources. However, I think that we could aim some of our compassion, focus it, uh, and really make a difference. This, this notion of, of power is ability, if you look at the translation. So you and I could bring some of the, the uber ability that's in this room to bear on, on some specific group of folks. And I think that would be uh, moving in the gospel direction. Mm. Thank you. I want to uh, think about an idea um, that is, it sounds like an unfortunate phrase, spiritual capital. And we can feel a little uneasy with that because it's bringing in an idea from economics into the spiritual realm. And you, we're familiar somewhat with the idea of social capital and so on. And um, it's a question that, that, that seeks to, certainly with somebody in a role like mine, to please, Lord, can we move past marketing? Uh, when we think about the Episcopal Church, um, what is it about our um, denomination's identity, our, our place in the, if spiritual capital is that sort of movement to try to make meaning 
uh, whether that's in communities like this or spaces uh, such as the ones that we have or out in, in the world, are there elements of um, the Episcopal Church that you think are particularly uh, helpful today in helping others, if you like, build with others spiritual capital, that sense of meaning-making? that may have been different to, to years gone by, but it's trying to break past sort of here's our brand to something a little deeper than that. I am suddenly struck by the image of capital as the top of the column, the architectural, s in the architectural sense. That's a place of um, latent power. Um, it's, if you push, push it off, it's going to have a major impact. Um, maybe that's a different way to think about it. Um, a spiritual capital is also related to the head, related to God. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think our spiritual capital in this era has a lot to do with spirituality and how it forms our lives. Uh, we're seeing monastic traditions come into the public square um, and, you know, I'd include, include in that a whole raft of things that we didn't do consciously recently. Movement, like walking the labyrinth or yoga, um, helping people to turn off their busyness in their brains and just be. We, we're human beings, not human doings even though we act like human doings most of the time. We're, we're tied to our screens. Uh, it's clear that screens are changing how people act, how people feel compassion or don't feel compassion. Uh, grounding ourselves in, the in access to the power of the spirit that is within us if we can access it, if we can touch it. I think that's a place where we have an enormous uh, field ripe for harvest. Mm -hmm. When I think of spiritual capital, I, I think of uh, a funny little phrase. I think about the gap between our mind and our behind. I think uh, which is which is the which is the opposite of shalom. Shalom is, and Paul Tillich wrote a book a long time ago to will one thing. This is this is authenticity. This is spiritual power. This is moral authority. And I think that's that's what the world still wants to meet, and when it meets it, it's delighted. Um, is that when when you and I are doing the thing? I mean, I, I I couldn't say amen enough to what Bishop Catherine said about the being notion. But th the truth of the matter is, is that our worship uh, uh, culminates in us being available for the world, as uh, for God so loved the world. Before you race to the end, for God so loved the world, and so to love God is to love those things of God, and world is of God. And so there are, there are corners, I call them fingernail dirty places, where love has got to show up. And so I think when we do that, we bring that fragrance back to the, the body of Christ. And I think that's spiritual authority. I, th I think if you take the mysterium tremendum off of Jesus a minute, you know, we need to have Jesus sort of high and sort of, you know, floating over Galilee. If you take that notion away, I think a lot of people just, uh, what they met in him was the most authentic dude they had met someone who's, who's sort of behind and, 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 and words were going in the same direction. But, uh, but I think that the world wants to encounter that in us. Uh, and so what we normally do, we've got to break the, the, the cycle, the habit. I heard a lot today in, uh, in the sermon about how we can get to intersections and make choices. Uh, I've been an Episcopalian a little while, and uh, I, we have a bit of a liturgy when we get together. We sort of, we compare notes on the woes of the world, and then inevitably while we're holding some cocktail, it'll go, ha. Ah. <laughs> Is that not right? Is that something like that? And, and I, I think that there, there's another, there's another drumbeat for us after that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm also, uh, I want to say, I mean, there are also people like Mary Margaret Oliver and other people in this congregation who have for a long time uh, uh, beat the drum of, of, of goodness and generosity and reasonableness. And, uh, and so in as much as I'm here speaking, I think there are people, and I don't mean to embarrass or call her out, but there are people in our midst, lay people in our midst who are doing this good work and bearing a witness to the world. 
Um, and so we've really got to bolster them and encourage them with our prayers because that's tough work is to make those noises in the public square right now, noises of compassion um, and of reasonableness. And so I think with spiritual capital, I think that benefit from our relationship with Jesus Christ and one another, and then that applied liberally and in, in, um, in unlikely places, unlikely in some people's lives. Thank you. So a couple of questions now about the city and, and talking about making, um, taking the risk to make uh, of, uh, a offer a good word in the public space or the public square. I, I want to raise up, and it's not the first time this weekend, that Saint Greta Thunberg, uh, <laughs> who has become in so many ways, what a, what a wonderful uh, uh, icon of our time. Um, there's one thing, uh, the vulnerability of getting into the public square, there's another thing to sail there uh, <laughs> across, the <laughs> across the ocean to get there. Um, so I'm wanting to, to turn the conversation in our minds to, to hold both the church and the city to think about just a single theme, uh, and, and in this case, uh, global warming. And it, it, it seems to be, I think, fairly self-evident evident that we're at a fairly limited place in our conversation nationally. But we're hitting, we're hitting the boundaries of that conversation really early. Um, and so I'm curious about from to the parish level, from the parish level beyond, um, to a national level, but here we are in, a, in, in one of the iterations of the Episcopal Church. How can we help? And that, that's a question for, for bishops, for priests, for deacons, for the, all the baptized. How can we help um, expand that conversation, you know, enlarge our tent, if you like? Um, so specifically, that is one of the concerns of the city, a, a place that helps in some ways because it densifies the need for energy. On the other hand, it burns a lot. Um, it, it burns a lot. So it keeps a lot of lights on. Um, so I'm curious what you have to, to say about that, how we might expand our horizons for hope by expanding that conversation as a church. There are, there are en enormous numbers of ways to respond. Uh, and I think the maybe the most critical one is ensuring that there are growing things in the city green things, green spaces, uh, having access to non-constructed parts of the earth is central to people's um, spiritual health, emotional health, physical health. Uh, lots of kids grow up um, in cities without knowing where food comes from. Uh, access to seeing food grow, to gardens, they can be planted in containers. They can be planted in tree wells in the street. Um, they can be planted vertically on walls. They can be planted on green roofs. Uh, there's a school in Manhattan that has a, a greenhouse on the roof and grows lettuce for the school cafeteria. You know, we can be far more creative about greening the city, literally. Uh, water management. Uh, teaching people and challenging municipalities to um, separate the storm sewer from the sanitary sewer and to change how we manage water and effluent. Uh, we can put solar on our roofs. The Diocese of California has challenged all its congregations to go solar. Uh, uh, um, San Joaquin in Southern California is going the same route. Uh, the solar energy here is pretty significant. It's possible to, to buy green energy. Um, to collaborate in, in terms of supporting local agriculture, community share supported agriculture. Um, I get a box in Reno once a week that is filled with the most glorious vegetables. <laughs> uh, making that available to people who don't have access to good food. Um, there are food deserts in this city, undoubtedly. That's one way. Uh, making electricity available at a lower cost to people. You can put solar up and make it available to the community and not just your building or buildings. Uh, there, are, there are too many for tonight. <laughs> Again, uh, uh, shock, uh, shock and uh, surprise so many, and this is our island home. Mm. 
is our prayer and this our island home. And so that, that is our North Star, this, this realization and to bring that gently into lots of conversations in rooms uh, where we find ourselves. I said last time I was here, we need more gospel subversives. Uh, so wherever your sphere of influence is, we need you there saying a kind and compassionate word about this, our island home, and to begin to live that out yourself. I'm struck that in the year of my birth, 1964, neither Bishop Catherine or I could stand, uh, would be sitting here in the roles we presently occupy. <laughs> I say that to say, um, when I think about um, this notion of, of, uh, of conservation and uh, of, uh, of doing this good work about uh, being a steward of this, our island home, I think that a lot of people really lose heart because the task seems immense. And yet, uh, 55 years ago, uh, the task of what we now enjoy seemed insurmountable. The odds seemed insurmountable, that, that we couldn't affirm a woman in this role or we couldn't affirm someone of color in this role. And so I think what I want to say to us who are minded in this way is that uh, it's, it's going to be a long slog. This is not microwave popcorn, uh, but it's worth <coughs> fighting for. And I, I think that people in this room know that. But I think sometimes we just – Paul said uh, in, in, uh, in his epistle that we ought not grow weary in well-doing. And I, I worry sometimes about us who, who see um, this notion – the water and who see the, the food and, and have grandchildren and children and worry about what they'll enjoy – I think we can lose heart, and but I think that the, the word is that we be a, that we be encouraged for the long haul. Uh, we're going to have to get get after this a bit at a time, using all the spheres of influence that are represented in this room. I think there's no other way to do that, and just hold steady, believing that we've got the best long view, which is stewardship, which is food and water and air for everybody. I think this is out of the genius of God. And we've just got to be gently calling out without contempt for people who see otherwise. I want to say that. So the self-management, spiritual depth part for us is to, 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 to find ourselves in prayer so that we do not bring contempt for other into conversation. Because this just diminishes our ability to make progress. So there's some spiritual work that we have to do who happen to be minded this way. But nevertheless, to bring forward this, this vision of, uh, of enough for all. So my last question <coughs> before we open up to the floor is um, actually in, in a way a, a, a nice segue from that question about joy, uh, a question for the long haul. A uh, lot of conversation for, um, uh, for folks within uh, the religious professional, <laughs> religious profession about the post-Christendom or the post-Christian age that we are wading into and it depends where you are uh, currently serving in the country, how, how post you are. Um, I want to ask a question, particularly here in, in this place, as I said at the beginning, what a, um, whether we like it or not, I guess the posts are coming to us. Uh, there's the, by the year, huge uh, influx of uh, millennials, and I guess after that, Generation Z, uh, into this, um, our immediate neighborhood. So the, the last question I want to ask about compassion is what we might learn from uh, those who, who might be identifying as, or simply not, haven't discovered that they are yet religious, um, either post-religious or haven't yet, haven't yet kind of discovered who we are. What might we learn um, from their spiritual lives, from their searching for, for God and for meaning and for one another and compassionate? Um, so how might the church be a learning church looking to the city as its book to learn from? I've been struck in speaking with college students, uh, often very few of them Episcopalian or Christian, and delighting in discovering that the, you know they don't believe in the God I don't believe in either. <laughs> and they're much more willing to ask provocative questions to explore, which is our responsibility, too. Um, we don't grow unless we doubt this or we question that. Uh, I think that's the, that's the central piece of what we can learn from them. I think the other piece is that there's far few, there are far fewer dividing walls in that generation than the one after it. Um, there are fewer of those people. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's an enormously deep spiritual understanding. 
that we are one as God's creatures made in God's image, that there should be no separation between, you know, uh, by cause of any kind of category. We are one. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just chewing on that. No, I mean, I guess I could give you an example of, of, of how right that, that hits my ear. Um, we know who Ar Ar Archbishop Desmond Tutu is, and it's interesting if you've watched him pivot over the years, he's not talking about the architecture of the church. He's not talking about all, all of the, the, the system of the machine. He's chosen a few words to begin to sort of drill down, like forgiveness. And he's, what he's, it seems that he's finding is, is that there are a lot more conversation partners out there uh, when it comes to talking about forgiveness than there are about the Anglican Church hmm. or the Episcopal Church. And so I think that while I'm a very, uh, you might be relieved to know I'm a very happy Episcopalian, proud to be an Episcopalian, I, I realize that that's, that's, um, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't isolate me. In fact, the way we, the way we hold, I think, when we, when we hold it well, and we, uh, we hold it open and gently and it, it actually invites conversation partners. So I don't have to be for or against things. I'm curious about things. I wonder about things. We have a tradition we've received thus far, and we're still thinking about it. That's what I like about this church is that, it, you know, we invite the life of the mind. And so as I find myself in rooms with younger people, that's exactly what they want to talk about. Uh, and so they want us to be a little bit more nimble than many of us are around what we believe. Mm. A, l a lot more curious, a lot less defensive. I, you know, I mean, with all due respect to lawyers, I've got a lo lot of lawyers in my family. We don't have to defend Jesus. I mean, we can offer him. We can have him lifted up. We can do a 360 with folks. And I think the genius of God in Christ is, is that there's a lot to look at, and there's a lot uh, that's compelling in his life, and that translates. I think that Jesus has a lot more friends than the church has. Mm-hmm. So, uh, amen. <laughs> Whoever said that, amen. And so I want to I wanna, I wanna be a steward of whatever that thing is. I want to try to surface what that is, distill that, and begin to sort of hold that out because I think that will encourage a lot of talking partners, a lot of conversation partners. Thank you. Well, if I can borrow your microphone, I'm going to go out to the, some of the friends of Jesus over here. Friends of Jesus. They're all here in one space, which is wonderful. So here's your opportunity. Um, to engage in uh, dialogue. I will bring the microphone for you so that people who listen to this later can hear the question. So, who would like to begin? I'll pass over there. Um, I think a lot of you have a similar experience. I drive around town a lot, uh, being an Uber driver. I see people living on the streets. I see them standing at the entrances and exits to the highways. And I'm thinking, what can I do? Because if it weren't for my two paychecks, I would be there too. Um, then I look at the corner of Ralph McGill and Piedmont, and I see the former Methodist Center just sitting there empty. Could we, as a faith community, combine our efforts um, with the city somehow to convert that into transitional housing, a free medical clinic, um, job training facility? Um, there's also the medical arts building that I don't know how old it is, but it's been empty for the 27 years I've lived here. Um, could we do something with that? Um, could we get all of the Peachtree Corridor churches involved with the city? That's my question. So <laughs> she'd pass that over to me. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, well, exactly. Well, well, no, I mean, uh, I mean, I just have been here a little while. I mean, I, I think that you're thinking the right way. I think that uh, one of the things, uh, I see Mary Margaret uh, uh, nodding her head. I think um, one of my challenges has been to you uh, over the last couple of years is, is that with all the talent and the ability and know-how and gifts that are in this room, this is exactly 
the thing that's before us. It, the truth of the matter is, is that congregations like this and the other in this, in this corridor are really, they have the ability to make real difference. You have the political connections. Uh, I mean, uh, I would say uh, it, it's a no-brainer to me that Mayor, Mayor Keisha would come and see us if we got a number of these congregations together to want to do something major. I think that would, that would uh, get pretty uh, far up on her list is to come and see that. And, and the fact of the matter is I think that it would be an amazing witness to have lots of different denominations and faiths to do work just like that. So, yes, I hope so. I mean, that's what I meant by knocking the ball out of the park and into the river. Yeah. It could change the city and this congregation. I have no reason to unduly flatter you, but this congregation has the ability and the gifts and the know-how to do a scale of project like that. Someone, a member of this congregation, told me over the weekend that a large homeless services shelter, Pine, 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 Pine Street, um, closed, and it was serving a thousand people, something like that. Um, the ability to listen and look in the larger city and to see resources like that that um, have disappeared or buildings that are empty and going to waste, um, th that's part of our stewardship. And the, the knowledge of the members of this congregation is vast. The ability to listen and look in the city. That's a, that's a gift that could be stewarded by collecting the information. You know, you put, put something in the plate every Sunday when you come to say, here's a resource, here's a need, um, that kind of thing. And I think that's the kind of work you're doing in terms of thinking about this block. Thank you. Who else has a is that somebody there? <laughs> Who else has a question? Come around. Come around. That's fine. My yeah. question probably is for you. Do you know about the Pine Street closing? Mm -hmm. And are you in con in conversation with anyone within the city? How can we help address that? That's a great great question. I don't know we have an answer yet because part of our um, conversation has been trying to think through and learn, including the, the, the struggle with people living on the street, all that we can about what's happening around us. Um, but that kind of question and that kind of connection between our, with the across denominations as well as within the denomination, Peachtree and Pine, ha Pine has a stronger connection to St. Luke's, but and we can throw a stone. I guess if, if Ed Baker and I both threw a stone at the same time, it'd hit midair between with that close. And so there's great opportunity for us to, to look at that, um, that, that kind of question exactly. So it's one I think as a community we should return to next year with some clarity and purpose. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a question. That was nice. Here we go. Okay, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. So I would just like for Bishop Rob to expand and, and uh, Bishop Catherine also, something you said about dialogue and uh, we live in such a divided country now and with issues like climate change and immigration and refugees, it just seems to me we need a new playbook or set of ground value-centered ground rules for dialogue with the people that we disagree with that we're trying to solve these problems with. And I was just wondering if there are any communities that y'all know of that are establishing a dialogue that's working or if you have any thoughts on that, please. There are several groups in the country who are teaching congregations and other communities how to do that. Uh, Sacred Conversations is one of them. Um, there, there's probably something in this area. Um, invite the congregation to participate on a Saturday um, to learn how to listen and listen deeply and basically validate what the person says. You may not agree with it, but help that person understand that you have heard. I, I think that's the, the, the very basic ground, the courtesy and the heart to be willing to listen deeply and carefully. That, that's the beginning. Um, and yeah, there are some ground rules, but they're mostly about courtesy. Yeah, so our local, and help me out Chandler folks, our, our local sort of guru around this uh, is uh, Greg Ellison at Candler who wrote a book called Fearless Dialogue. Uh, 
Um, a lot of people think that Rosa, uh, Rosa Parks just was sort of a, a, a forthright saint of God and just sat down. Um, when, you, when you click on it, what you, what you realize is that Rosa went to school at the Highlander School in Tennessee uh, to learn how to do direct action nonviolent work. And so I, I wonder now, if given, given the environment that we're in right now, if every congregation doesn't the need to become some version of the Highlander School around these kinds of conversations. Because I think, what I think uh, with, with, with the best liturgy and the best choir, and of course you have the best in the whole wide world, um, I, I think it, it doesn't, it, doesn't um, it, it could be more intentional to create more capacity in us to do this work. And, and that's a real teaching trajectory that, that may emerge in a curriculum um, uh, for our uh, spiritual formation work here. Um, I, I think that when you start to look at this, it is a multi-dimensional approach to this um, that's really exciting when you think about the individual member of this congregation and beyond increasing their capacity to actually do this work. And, you know, that I remember asking Andy Young, you know, sort of, tell me what the strategy was, and, and I, I can't repeat the words that he used to me when he rebuked me. Um, <laughs> but but um, it, it was about a consistent uh, endeavor to make progress on something that mattered the whole world to them. And for that, they were willing to give their time, talent, treasure, and even their lives. And so I think that we won't be general do-gooders. I think what we're going to have to do, the hard work before us is to decide what is the purpose here at, at, uh, at All Saints and then begin to iterate on that individually across uh, our spheres of influence. But I think some real intentional work around increasing our capacity, mm. um, because God knows we, we I, I mean, I'm the middle Bishop of Middle and North Georgia, and so I have to listen to Rachel and Rush uh, both uh, to stay in step. <laughs> and it, it's a, it's a it's schizophrenic exercise, but what I, <laughs> But, but, but what I realize is that, that, that people are just sort of being calcified in, in both delivery systems. And, and there's a gracious middle that, that somebody's going to have to take up. And why not us? The ability to listen compassionately, I think, is at the ground. Um, and to compassionately invite somebody to travel across the divide. Um, Jesus does nonviolence uh, incredibly creatively. Um, you, you hear about this at least once every three years, the go the second mile, give your shirt as well as the cloak, um, turn the other cheek. Those are creative nonviolent responses. Uh, they're not roll over and die. And we can learn those. Um, I'll, g I'll give you one example that came to me um, as a gift. When I went to England to preach at Southwark Cathedral, I got a nasty letter from the archbishop's uh, staff saying I couldn't wear my mitre. Um, the, the dean was the one who was getting get in trouble if I wore my mitre. So I carried it. But it generated so much publicity that, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was creative, and it was just a gift out of nowhere. <laughs> love it. You got to love that. Yes. <laughs> Was it here first? Oh, no, I'll come back to the back. Okay. You're welcome. Um, after the last election, some of you remember that my friend Hillary didn't win. And, um, but I had idolized her, and I identified with her. And I was so shocked. And I sat on my porch, and um, I obsessed about this for a long time, and I thought, I live in a ghetto. All the people I know are the people that s understand the world the way that I do, including people who are not members of the church. So I decided that I would go um, where I had been to do some supply work in Monroe, Georgia. And the Monroe, Georgia is the last place in Georgia that had a lynching. And I knew that. And I thought, well, <laughs> let's just go down there and play in the street from 
So I went down and I had to beg them to hire me. They hadn't had a priest for six months. And I, I said, you know, I'll come for cheap, which I did for about three months. And I tried to edge my salary up a little bit. But I will tell you that it took me a year of just um, talking about love before I moved an inch in that place or where they trusted me at all. And I am, you know, if anybody remembers, I have a sort of a reputation for being a little bit on the edge of radical. And um, it was very hard because I couldn't say whatever came into my head and then laugh about it because nobody would laugh with me. And I had to listen and my friend Beth has done the same work with me there. And we're, we're in the process of getting people to talk with us about what they're fearful of. And um, it's not easy, and it, it isn't about me at all, which is my favorite thing because I'm a priest. Um, but um, that's a joke, y'all. <laughs> so um, so I just, I just want to witness that because it was not easy. It was not hard. It was an hour drive from my home and an hour drive back, and I did that for two and a half years, three times a week. That part was not fun at all. I didn't like it. But I will say that I love those people, and I, I'm still pastoring them because they don't have a priest yet. So um, I, I just um, encourage people to look for those opportunities because they're still there and they're, they're people who are dying for us to communicate. It's fascinating, isn't it, that it's, it's um, if I may, it, that, it's, that it's really not about them. It's really about our, our deep commitment to respecting the dignity of every human being. Um, uh, this other story about Andy. So we, we had gathered Andy Young to speak to some of our high schoolers and the clergy had sort of, we're buzzing around him and, and uh, sort of venting about our uh, current president. And, uh, and, and Andy just sort of lost it like a grandpa without enough coffee. I mean, he just w went off on us and, uh, and, and, you know, sort of wagged his finger at us and said, you people didn't, uh, you people, you people didn't uh, pay very close attention to Dr. King at all, did you? And of course, at that point, we're we're being scolded, and we said, "Well, do tell." <laughs> and and he said, uh, because in in all of his ministry, all those hard hard days, uh, he never uh, personally went after anybody. Now, now here was the kicker, which I think maybe uh, needs to be up more alive for some of us. He said uh, he never did that because he always wanted to leave at least some narrow path for even the most egregious person to find their way back with dignity. And so I think that that's where the bar is if we're going to if we're really going to be serious about having conversations with folks. Um, it's it's got to be purging the contempt we bear, being honest about the contempt we bear, working on that as part of our own spiritual discipline and then leaving a way back for them in the way that the prodigal comes back from the pig trough. And I mean it's easier said than done of course, but I think I think that's what the gospel is asking us to do, is to go down into that. Yeah. I d I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think there's a couple more. Sure, yeah. My question is, um, the demographics of this room are very different from the demographics of the young people who will be moving to take the places being constructed by those cranes mentioned earlier. What is the role of the church to attract that audience back to the pews and inside so that they see the church um, from the inside instead of the outside looking in? I don't think they can see the church from the inside until the church goes to them. I wrote a book called Go, so you can see where I'm at. I mean, I, I think that I think that that's just that's it. I mean, we've sequestered the church for too long inside of buildings, and it just ain't working, folks. And so I think people want to meet church. I think people are still open to meeting church. And, you know, it's, it's just a different dynamic. It's generational. It's a different dynamic. And so uh, I think they want to meet those things that we're talking about in us, um, and then they might take some uh, instruction and invitation from us. And so I, I think that All Saints can do that. I've, I'm seeing that being done in places. Um, it's it's an unlikely thing to watch that people sort of find, um, uh, you know, animate new muscles that they they had let sort of go sedentary. And it's a fascinating thing to see people want to do that. 
but that you've got to want to do that for more than just filling up the building or filling out the budget. I mean, it, it can't just be that. And I, I mean, I, I know that a lot of that sometimes comes from a good place, but it's got to really be, and this is the other part of the deep work for us, it's got to really be, and sometimes as Episcopalians we can be a bit coy, but it's got to be about, I have met something in this Jesus. And I know uh, that's not being any other denomination other than ourselves. People say sometimes when I'm preaching, standing on the floor, you must have been a Baptist. I'm just an enthusiastic Episcopalian. And you know this better than I do. The world still wants to meet a genuine uh, enthusiasm. And I think when they meet that in us, they might be inclined to come and see some of the stuff that we think is really wonderful. Other people. Um, so I have a little story which, which ends in a question. So um, I was in, just recently I was in Alabama and I went to the Peace and Justice Memorial and um, my friend and I were walking around as other people and mostly silence and um, there was a whole group of people that had t-shirts on that said black folks matter. And so as we were coming out, almost done, my friend asked one of the women about her t-shirt and that started the conversation. And so there were two women, each of us kind of paired up and this one woman said to me, why are you here? And that opened the conversation and I said, I feel like it's my responsibility. I mean, but this started a conversation. And what was so cool about this is I could tell by her face she was dying to talk to me, the, you know, and I was dying to talk to her. But no one said anything until my friend said something about the T-shirt because as soon as she did, everybody started talking. And so the question <laughs> is what's, how does that, that how do, how do, how do, what's the logistics to make that happen? We were totally different groups of people from different, I mean, rural, uh, city, you know, how do you make that happen? What's the logistics for it? She did it. You asked a question. Yeah, I got no better I answer than I that. I guess I keep doing it, and, I, and it's more like, how do we make I it? I think you got to do, I think. You, you, you got to be curious, and I, I think what you got to do also is is, is um, increase your capacity for those awkward sort of moments sometimes. And just, it just it's going to be okay. I mean, the reach is worth it all, I think. You've, you've, you've I mean, you, yeah, well, that's a perfect story I, of just someone doing it. We've had this conversation before a time or two, but... <coughs> um, it seems to me, and, and, and this was when we were, um, we had a conversation there, but we had a chat when the Dalai Lama was here and Jonathan Sachs and that wonderful get together. And it was, it was part of a culmination of the interfaith activities in this city beginning to come together. They've really come together now. One thing I would suggest that folks may want to do is sign up for Compassionate, Compassionate Atlanta, join Compassionate Atlanta. Uh, that all started when Karen Armstrong was here at Morehouse uh, College, and that started a whole, whole dynamic that was never here before. And she started dynamics all over the all over the world, as a matter of fact. So one of the things that seems to me that's critically important, and and Bishop, I know you're doing this with with uh, Samaya and trying to work with the the uh, the uh, uh, Islamic Speakers Bureau, but we've got to reach out to all faiths. Non-believers, believers, believers uh, every, every, everybody wants to get involved. And we can take a leadership role. We can step forward and say, let's get together with the 14th Street Mosque, with, uh, with Plemon down at the, uh, at the greatest place in the world, down in, in the Atlanta Masjid, and move all this, begin bringing everybody together and break down these dichotomies of faith and bring it all together and work together and get a common theme. And we all address the refugee issues. We address um, uh, 
immigrants that are coming here be, be undocumented and the documented. I mean, it's, it's got to take, we've got to reach out and be not just be Episcopalians, not just be Christians. We've got to just be one of God's children. Howard, Howard Thurman used to say um, that it's because of Jesus he ended up beside other people of even different faiths. Because of Jesus. That's right. And I, th I think that, that that serves us well. That quote serves us very well. And so you mentioned Sumaya Khalifa, who's the head of this Islamic Speakers Bureau. We've had her to preach at clergy um, uh, renewal of vows. Uh, she says yes, but that wasn't, uh, well, I can show you some emails about that one. <laughs> and we, we also did renewal of vows in a homeless shelter and did renewal of vows in the temple. And it, it did push a lot of buttons, but... But to have Peter Berg, who's a rabbi at the temple, and I mean, I, I thought that, that that witness to stand beside and them to stand beside us graciously, uh, being welcomed into their home to be ourselves, was really transformative for a lot of people. I mean, Peter Berg at the temple said that we could celebrate the Eucharist there in the temple. And, and this was the quote, folks. He said, we understand hospitality as allowing you to be yourself even in our home. And so uh, the conversion needs to happen on every side, I think. Um, but when you meet that gracious spirit, I mean, you, you want to replicate that. And so you're quite right. So I, I would say, you know, and here's another maybe a piece of uh, spiritual practice for some of us. Maybe some of us could be more honest with ourselves about the group that we really struggle to love. And maybe we could pledge for the next three months, six months, to begin to get some information or begin to make a personal contact there. I mean, I, re I recognize that uh, while I have a lot to say about guns in Georgia, which is really difficult to say, um, I realized that I had not sat across the table and broken bread with a member of the NRA, uh, to my knowledge, a, a, a former leader in the NRA. And so that was a gap in my own work, not having a conversation in earnest with someone who saw the world very differently than I saw it. So I, I think that's th there's a possibility for us to make some of this conversation into a real spiritual practice. Someone referenced the last presidential election. Um, at that semester, I was teaching at CDSP in Berkeley, California. And we were talking about uh, compassion, uh, talking about nonviolence. And all of a sudden, everybody at the seminary that I know of about had to turn their understanding about who was going to need compassion in this event. It, it, it was a transformative experience in that place because they, they had all sort of intellectually understood that the people who voted for Trump were going to need their compassion and all of a sudden it got turned on them. It, it what's that like for you with you know, the group of people that's most difficult? Um, get in their shoes for a bit. That might be a rather beautiful closing line, get in their shoes for a bit, uh, for, a, for a weekend and an evening on the theme of compassion. We, we said we'd end at an hour, we're just over that. I wonder if you would join me in offering a heartfelt expression of gratitude to Catherine and Rod. Catherine said it's uh, time for us to get on the road. Uh, both blessings for your journey home, but if this is your parish home, let's uh, get on the road together. Thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate it.